<clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. I wasn't white enough for the white kids and I wasn't black enough for the black kids. Where do I fit in? I love my Filipino side. I love my white side, but I feel like I can always learn more about both sides. That's Mary Grant. She's a Filipino-American creative living in Los Angeles. Her YouTube videos on Filipino food and Filipino aunties have been viewed millions of times. Today on Partially Pinoy, we'll get to know her and how being half Filipino motivates her to introduce the world to her unique background, culture, and comedy. This is Partially Pinoy, and we are powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. So I'm really thrilled that we're going to get to talk today. I'm excited to hear about your own journey to LA. I know you were born in Turkey. You then lived in the Philippines from three to six and then moved to Virginia. I know you lived in San Diego for 13 years. So yes. excited to jump into all of that. How did your parents meet? <laughs> Always a fun question, right? Yeah. <laughs> so my parents met in the Philippines. My mom actually is uh, from Pampanga. So she's from right outside of Clark Air Force Base. And growing up in the house, I grew up bilingual, but I spoke up Pampangan. And to be completely honest, I didn't realize the Galog was the national language until I moved to California and met other Filipinos and Filipino Americans. Like growing up until I moved to California when I was 22, I the only Filipinos I knew were my cousins. And wow. we spoke Kapampangan and English. So I, I know very, very little Tagalog. <laughs> of course, all the bad words. <laughs> yeah. And you could probably survive in Manila. No problem. Yeah, like, I, know, right? I can hear like a little bit, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Fine, but, okay. So yeah, your my, parents met in Pampanga? Yes. So my dad was wow. in the Air Force. Okay. And my mom lived, so um, her little barrio town was right outside of Clark Air Force Base. Okay. And my father would go, my mom was a seamstress and she was hemming clothes and stuff. And he went to this little shop right outside of the base to get his military uniforms um, altered. And my dad knew the shop owner and was like, hey, let me introduce you to this little barrio <laughs> girl. Yeah. And so, you know, my dad's like six foot one American. And then my mom's this teeny tiny little Asian Filipina doll, four foot eight, you wow. know, the most innocent creature in the world. But I mean, it's so funny because to this day when I ask, you know, when people ask, how did you guys met? My mom's always like, well, I found the biggest, whitest Americano <laughs> I could find and I never let go. And uh, yeah, I mean, she basically was like, that's going to be my husband. And my dad was like, that's going to be my wife. And they courted, you know, my mom's very traditional. So my yeah. dad courted my mom. Uh, they went on a double, they went on double dates, like chaperone dates with my Apu, which is Lola in Kapampangan. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say they only went on a few dates. They never went on a date by themselves. Six weeks after they met, they got married and their first kiss was on their wedding day. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So my mom was like, there's my ticket to the U.S. And, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, she made some sacrifices and she was like, sure. I want to have an American, you know, Philam child. And 
I'm going to do what I need to do to make it happen. And that's what happened. Sounds like your mom's a creative yeah. as well. Yeah. It's funny because growing up, like, you know, she still was a seamstress. Um, when we lived in Virginia, our basement, she had a shop and all the neighbors, you know, would come and everybody in town would get their clothes hemmed by her. And I remember, you know, wanting the name brand clothes, especially middle school when you're starting to think about, oh, I want to be cool. I want Nike clothes. I want brand clothes. And I remember asking my mom for like, I think Champion or Adidas was like big at the time. I'm showing my age. And my mom was like, uh, I'm not going to pay $35 for a t-shirt, you know, or I'd want a dress for prom. And like my mom made all my prom dresses, my homecoming dresses. And I feel so bad at the time. I remember thinking like, what am I like Cinderella? I, I really look down on it as a horrible teenage child. Yeah. But then now I look back, I'm like, um, I had custom made clothing. Celebrities yeah. get clothes custom made. Like I was cool back then and didn't even know it. Couture, your version. I want to see a picture of these prom dresses because I feel like we should link to it. Oh my <laughs> on gosh, the podcast I swear my mom can dig them up. Yeah. <laughs> you spent the first three years of your life in Turkey. So your dad and mom got married and then you were born in Turkey. That's where he was based right yeah, after. I was born in Turkey. So my parents, when they got married, they very quickly went to the U.S., and they lived in New York was the first place. They were together four years before I was born. And wow. my mom is teeny tiny. It's weird when you see pictures of my parents together. Oh, where did this man steal this child from? <laughs> <laughs> mom is so tiny and she looks like she's 15 years old, but she's actually 26, you know? They were going to Turkey. My dad was being based in Turkey. And my mom said right before they left, she was feeling sick and nauseous and she wanted to make sure she was okay for the trip. And that last doctor's appointment that you're cleared to fly to go international, they were like, well, you're fine. You're just pregnant because they had been trying and it took four years. So I guess they gave up and they're like, all right, I guess we're not going to have kids. And yeah. then I decided, hello, I'm going to arrive now. And yeah. uh, so they went to Turkey. You know, I was, I was like six weeks premature, which okay. makes sense because my mom is super tiny. And I was born in Turkey. And then at three, my dad got based back in the Philippines. So they were able to go back to Clark. And that's where I was able to spend my like tiny childhood with my cousins in the barrio and you know, riding water buffalo and living on the farm and running around barefoot with no clothes on. Like, like I really yeah. cherish that. And I'm so glad I got to experience that. So then you had your three years there and then you moved to Virginia and then you graduated high school in Virginia as well. You know, I hear a lot of stories about creatives who really, it's almost like an incubation period to feel like a fish out of water in an environment and so I wonder if that's what that was for you that time. I know you had friends who didn't really understand the culture, right? And you were the only ones. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Yeah, I do. You know, I remember Virginia, like I appreciate growing up in a little town. I was sheltered and yeah. my personality, that's probably best. <laughs> but yeah. you know, there's also a sense of you go to school and the entire town in Virginia at the time, and probably still now, like I'm from central Virginia, right outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. It's, it's either black people or white people. And it was like 50-50. You know, there were a few people that were black and white. 
but there were no Latinos. At one point, there was another Filipino girl that moved into the town. Just growing up and not being able to identify or see anybody that looks like you. Luckily, my family made it made it so it wasn't an issue. Like they never made it an issue. So I I wasn't like ever self-conscious really about being different. If anything, they like helped me uh, praise that part of me. But still when I'm like at work or at school, when my family's not there to like support me, of course you do look around and you're like, wow, it is an issue because I didn't fit in with the white kids. I wasn't white enough for the white kids and I wasn't black enough for the black kids. So where, where do I fit in? And like, I never, ever felt like I never felt that I was going to stay in Virginia my whole life. I never felt like I fit in there, you know, and, and growing up in middle school is when I finally found like my best friend at the time and she was black and white and we bonded because we both felt the same exact issues of we didn't know how we fit in. But when we were friends and when we were together, we fit in. We fit with each other because we could understand where we were coming from. It's it's really crazy when you think of being mixed race and people, a lot of people don't think about it. And I myself, I'm always mistaken for being Latina. That happens all the time. And you think, you know, I, I love the Persians. I love them with all my heart. I speak the language. I get them, but I don't feel fully Persian. And same with the Filipinos. I just love, you know, I love my family. I really, my heart is in that country. I was born there. I grew up there, but I don't feel completely Filipino either. And so you end up navigating this tightrope, which I think probably for both of us fed our creativity, right? Because you're forced to sort of think in a different way. So tell me about how that started. I know that you won a competition in middle school, Mm -hmm. talent competition. How did that start of sort of percolating within you, that talent, that creativity? Okay, so when I was in the Philippines on the Air Force base, and I'm so thankful my mom, of course, got me into hula, Filipino dance, piano. So I got used to performing at like age four is when I started and so I got used to, like, when you're a kid, you, you don't think about, oh, there are a lot of people looking at me. And of course, I loved it. You know, I was like, ah, look at me. <laughs> so I got my first little taste of that. But then when I moved to Virginia, first, second, third grade, and being the only brown kid, and I mean, I got picked on. I used to come home crying every single day because, you know, they didn't, some people didn't even know where the Philippines were was or i'd say i was born in turkey and they're like oh what are you turkey gobble gobble and i'm like wow you're (laughs) really ignorant the creativity kind of it, it was subdued at that point and then i went into the talent competition and my mom was like hey you know what you used to do hula dance these rednecks in Virginia, they don't know what hula is. We're going to put your hula outfit on. And at the time, like my hair, my hair is sort of long now, but my hair used to be like almost to my knees. And she was like, do your hula dance, go be you. We're going to celebrate who you are. Cause nobody in this whole town can do what you can do. And I was wow. like, yeah, okay, mom, sure. <laughs> and then I did it. And because I won first place. And then after that, then all of a sudden I was cool. And then yeah. everybody's like, oh, oh, she's cool. Oh, now I want to be her friend. You know, yeah. so it was like, oh, okay. So I'm accepted now. Yeah. And then middle school came, you know, like middle school, it's that like 
awkward. You know, we're growing into our face. Like we start getting balls, lip hair. My eyebrows were huge. Like you're you're finding yourself. I remember my like knuckle hair. I was like, I have hair on my (laughs) knuckles. It's like, wait a second. I'm I'm so hairy. I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. And that, but middle school is when I got back, uh, I got into choir and I started doing like high school choir as like a seventh, eighth grader. So on my lunch breaks, I would walk down to the high school to like practice with the high school students. And then when I got into high school, I was like in the advanced choir and I just really excelled at that. And I want to say I only was thinking about singing and then 11th grade came along and I never before thought about drama or acting, you know, it's just very like, I just want to sing. I like being in the choir, maybe have a solo here and there, but 11th grade came along and then being in the middle of Virginia, um, the musical that was chosen was South Pacific. And there's a character in there called Bloody Mary, who's from, you know, South Pacific. She's a brown character. I mean, nobody in the entire probably state at the time could play that character. So the director was like, hey, we know you can sing. You know, have you ever thought about being a musical? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I have to memorize lines. Like, choir, I can read my music. And she was like, well, nobody else can do this. So you're the only brown person. And I was like, oh, you know, sure, I'll audition. And then I got the part. And I just really, like, settled into, like, I just had so much fun like acting and singing. And I was like, wow, I can sing and dance. Everybody's looking at me with like a smile on their face. It was the talent show all over again, you know, but this time I'm in high school and like I own myself and I'm like more comfortable with who I am and celebrating that. And then, you know, I was like, oh, I kind of like this whole acting thing. Let me do it again. And then I did, you know, senior year, I did another musical and that's kind of what brought the the taste of being on stage is where I think that really, really kicked off from at that point, yeah. Siblings, do you have any siblings? I do not, I'm an only child. Okay, same, same, okay. Coming up, we'll learn more about how Mary Grant's identity as Filipino-American has influenced her career choices. So a couple years ago, you know, one of my aunts on Facebook and she had made a comment, why do you have to be Filipino American? Why can't you just be American? And I really was taken aback because I never thought anything else. Like I never thought that was an issue. And just because I'm Filipino American, it doesn't mean I'm taking anything away from my American side. Like what's it to you? Why can't I be both? I am American, but I'm also Filipino and American. This show is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, powered by Podmetrics. Podmetrics takes care of the details so we can focus on making the best content for you. Visit podmetrics.co and sign up for free. Use code PARTIALLYPINOY.
how do you describe yourself? You've mentioned a love of singing. You've been described as an entertainer, actress, voiceover, actor, parody artist. So how do you describe yourself? Hmm. I don't see myself with all those labels. I guess I just describe myself as someone who likes to celebrate. Like, I just like celebrating and supporting my culture. Um, you know, and plus as a creative person, I get caught on one thing and I'm like obsessed, like, okay, I'm doing voiceover. That's all I'm doing is voiceover. And then I'm like, oh, er, now I want to be a writer. I'm writing a pilot. I'm doing this. And then I'm like, oh, let me go back to auditioning. I'm, I'm an actor. So it's like, there's, so I just like to be under the umbrella of a creative person, but also I like to support everyone else. You know, I don't really like to like highlight myself. I would rather, you know, bring light because now I realize I do kind of have a platform and it's really hard to feed that beast. I've learned to not have the pressure of feeding that beast by putting my focus back on how can I highlight and showcase other people or even businesses, you know, or little towns or little communities that, you know, people need more access to, you know, because it also I'm very open about, I'm learning every day about my culture. Like you said, I, I love my Filipino side. I love my white side, but I feel like I can always learn more about both sides. And I think because I'm so open about, I'm learning Tagalog. So I have like baby children's books and I am like <laughs> not ashamed to show it. I think because I am so open about that learning process for me, it encourages and like motivates and inspires other people to, to do the same. And to me, like that's, that's what makes me happy is that we're all, you know, kind of learning together or growing together as well. You're using your creativity in the service of this larger goal than just putting your creativity out there for the sake of like showing off. One of my dreams that I would love to like do work on is like, I want to do like an animation or like a, you know, like a cartoon show, even if it's like two minute episodes of like, I envision like a film or mixed race, like Filipino, whatever. And like the things that like we go through, like you have a crush on a boy, but then he's gay, like things that are still the whole like community can, can relate to, but yeah. the girl just happens to also be, you know, Filipino American, you know? Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people could relate to that. Yeah. Of just being human. And, yeah. and here's a girl who's representing how it feels to be human. And she happens to look like this. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like you have a lot of irons in the fire. You know, how, how do you identify what is the most important thing? You went viral, you became popular based on a very specific type of art. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you sort of think, you know, to yourself, this is the path I want to continue taking because it's popular, you know, or not versus like this other path. And so how do you select what really sings to you, especially if you became popular based on something very specific. Yeah, that that is tough. And that is what I've had to learn, learn how to accept, I guess is the word. Because, you know, at first I was popular and kind of thrown into the spotlight because of my parody videos. And, you know, when you start following someone or you like someone because of this one thing, you want to see more of it. You know, so even to this day, like four years later, I still get messages. 
when are you going to do another parody song? And especially COVID right now, it's really difficult. But also like to do a production, like a lot of people don't understand the planning and everything. Like it might be a three and a half minute video, but it takes three days to record, 12 hour days. Like it takes a lot of work and, you know, which I, I love doing. But then I got into, because it takes a lot of work. So I was like, okay, well, how can I adapt and still do something along the same thread? And then that's when I started doing Animal Planet Filipino Mom voiceovers. Because I'm like, oh, I could do that myself. I can just get the clips off of YouTube, do the voiceover and do that. And so, you know, I did a bunch of those that went like hilarious. Um, But then, you know, I started doing the Disney ones where I don't have to film, but I can just, you know, download it from YouTube and do that. But I had to learn the pressure, like the internet can be brutal, you know, and if you're not feeding something to what people are used to seeing, you start doubting yourself or you start becoming insecure. And I just had to learn that I, I want to put out there what, what makes me happy. And, you know, if I lose people, I lose people, but if people still stay along, great. Do you feel like you had to, at some point, always create more content to feed that hunger? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the beginning. When I did the first music video, it was basically, it was really just something I wanted to document, like me and my family hanging out. Oh, look, we made this funny video. You know, we could look look back on it years later and the kids are all small. And I had no intentions or not even a thought process of like even sharing it with like other people outside of the family. I'm human. Anybody's human. So you're going to read the comments. And I remember reading the comments. And one reason why I was really hesitant to do the music video is because I tried to be an actor when I was like first moved to California. I was like 21, 22. And you know, at the time it was like late to or early 2000s. And there really was nobody that looked like me on TV. And I had a casting director, you know, say some nasty things. And, you know, she fed into my insecurities and I dipped out and I was like, what was I thinking? Of course I can be on stage in little old Virginia, but who am I to think that I could, you know, be on television in Los Angeles? So I dipped out for a while. And then I was, that's when I was like, well, let me do voiceover because if I do voiceover, I'm behind a microphone. Nobody can see what I look like. Nobody can question why do I sound the way I sound when I look like this. And then when that video came out, I was already planning to move to Burbank to pursue voiceover. And when the video kind of went viral and then I saw people that look like me and, you know, basically mid 20 Philams or mixed girls like me say, I want to see more of you. Like it kind of inspired me and I got over my fear of being on the camera Mary, you've had so many videos go viral. Remind me again. Is it the Pinoy food uh-huh, one or the, yeah. Okay. And then I did okay. the Iggy Azalea mm-hmm. parody, first things for some Filipino. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then when did the Little Mermaid come in? That to- was shortly after that. Okay. So you just had like a series of videos that sort mm-hmm. of like one yeah, after another went viral. In my genre. So I did a bunch of parodies. Yeah. Then I went to the Disney and then I went to the Animal Planet. But uh, they all went viral, which I think it was really amazing about that. Right. And that's, I don't think that's necessarily common for a lot of artists, you know, to have multiple videos really yeah. catch, catch a nerve. 
I got used to, you know, when I would post something, it would go viral. But then at the time also, there weren't a lot of other creatives in the same vein as me. Mm -hmm. And I feel now that there's more, you know, for a moment when I would post something and it wouldn't hit, I remember thinking, am I not relevant anymore? I'm not funny anymore. You know, yeah. it's like, it's yeah. a roller coaster of like yeah. insecurity and doubt. And it's just something you have to like push through. And, you know, it's what's really crazy about that is I've heard Madonna, you know, after all of her success, I've seen her in a couple of interviews in the last couple of years. Like we think of her as being so confident. Like I, I just like sense so much doubt in herself and her, her voice. She was in an in, in interview with Kelly and Michael Strahan at the time. And she kept talking about her body and, you know, how she was out of shape. And I just thought you were Madonna. So then how did that help you, I don't know, strengthen you maybe in a way, or how did it allow you to transition to something that was more true to you instead of sort of serving the beast? Okay. So what got me through that is when I did the Little Mermaid voiceover, the Little Mermaid song, right? There was the president of the Philem Creative Filipino group in LA. At the time, her name is Meriden. She reached out to me and was like, hey, you inspired me. I want to write a short film uh, where you're basically like the fairy godmother. Like, we need a Filipino Disney character. And she was like, I wrote this short film, like, just so you could be in it. Will you please wow. be a part of it? And I was thinking... I'm used to like doing all this stuff on my own and, you know, I wanted to be an actor, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I've got my confidence back being in front of the camera. Sure. I'll do that. So then I dove into like the whole acting thing. And I think that distracted me from the social media feeding the beast because I was focused on my craft and auditioning and memorizing lines and, and doing it over and over again with the direction in front of somebody else's camera is much different because for you, you know, of course you think every take that you do by yourself is good. Nobody's going to tell you, Ooh, that sucked. You know? So I think I was just distracted when I threw myself into acting and then, you know, that's what kind of got me over the, the whole, I need to feed the beast thing. Yeah. yeah because you could be creative in a way that's, maybe authentic, authentic to you, but also you can rely on others to work with you almost as a team. Yeah. Right? And I think as I've been getting more into the creative world, I myself realize that, wow, almost every good piece of art out there, maybe unless you're like a Van Gogh or something, really requires a team because of our obsession right now with Hamilton, I've been reading the book and he, he cannot write a note to save his life. It's all like just hums and, and he just sort of gives it to someone else and someone else puts in like the notes and turns it into a piece of music that someone could play. And I was blown away by that because we always think, oh, it's Lin-Manuel. He's by himself. Mm-hmm. And of course he is a driving force, but it could not happen if he didn't have at least, you know, five or six really strong people. And I think that's, maybe a really important lesson to learn, yeah. you know, when you're maybe putting out a lot of personal things, uh, just to know that we're all in it together, back to what you were saying earlier, you're extremely talented. Do you ever kind of reflect on the intersection between being a multiracial and the talent? Do you ever think because of what I've been forced to confront, 
as a multiracial person, I'm able to be a creative in this way? Or do you think this is just Mary Grant and I can do all these things? Like how much of that do you think is connected to being mixed race? Oh, I think absolutely 100% of being biracial, growing up in the Philippines. I grew up in a sense white in Virginia, but at home, you know, we still had the Filipino traditions, cultures, food. When we would, you know, the family gets together, it's like the dueling aunties, you know, with all the kids competing for who's the best dancer, who's the best singer. So it's like, if I didn't grow up with that, like I wouldn't have the confidence or like the stage presence or even like the drive or motivation to be in front of other people, like telling a story. And I think also Filipinos are amazing storytellers. Whenever we have family reunions, I love just hearing all the aunties talk about when they were little kids and how they got to school and how they went to school with no shoes on. And then they're crying and talking about Christmas dinner didn't happen. And, you know, it makes me appreciate how I grew up more. And if I didn't have that background or that basis, especially having my family like rooting me on so hard, I, I, I definitely know I wouldn't be where I am today or even have the drive to, to share the culture. And speaking of your aunties, I think people want to know how those are actually created. Because watching that, watching Animal Planet, watching the mom videos, I wonder is this improvised or do you actually plan and write? And I mean, because you listen to it and you think, wow, this is so natural. This is so just coming from the heart. But you just mentioned that even for short videos that I know you create from scratch, you have to plan. And I'm wondering for those, how do you get into that mindset and then execute? It's funny because like all my little skits that I do, it's really a combination. It's an impression of a combination of like three aunties. So I have one auntie that's super religious. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I have like an auntie that's like super judgmental. <laughs> and then I have another auntie that's like the cool one, you know, like kind of American ship, you know, like it's so cool. <laughs> so it's like a combination of three aunties. But when I would do the videos, it's like I just have an idea of where I want it to go. But it's, it's all improvised, really. And just recently is when I started trying to sit down and like write it out. You know, like if I want to write a pilot, I need to like write out jokes. But that, that part is so hard to me because I just work better if it's kind of on the fly. And, and a lot of it too is a reflection on like real <laughs> real things that have happened or that my mom has said to me. One video that I put on my back burner, but I wanted to do is Filipino moms on an airplane. I was 25 and my mom took me to Europe for my birthday. And my mom and my aunties, they're so precious. So we get on the plane and I see my mom talking to the flight attendant and she's like, pointing. And I'm like, mom, can you just sit down. What are you doing? And, and then, so the flight attendant's like, oh, please make sure you fasten your seatbelts. We're about to take off. And then my mom, I see her, she's going, pointing at me. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so the lady, she finally, you know, we're cruising altitude. She's passing out drinks. And my mom's like, this is my daughter. It's her birthday. And I was like, <laughs> 
Mom, why are you telling the flight attendant this isn't Outback Steakhouse? She really <laughs> wanted the flight attendant to make an announcement on the plane. Yeah. Like, happy, happy birthday. And I was mortified. <laughs> the flight attendant was like, happy birthday. Would you like water? What, would, you like, would you like peanuts? And finally, because my mom would leave it alone, when we were deplaning, the flight attendant was like, oh, I want to wish Mary in 17C a happy birthday. <laughs> and my mom was like, that's my And I could feel like if, if anyone had a mom who was that kind of personality, it would just feed so much inspiration, right? She's like, def- yeah, she's you. definitely like my biggest cheerleader. But I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I first started doing the Filipino mom jokes, and even growing up, I would not like make fun of her, but I would be like, oh, really, mom? Like Uh she used to get offended. And my aunties, she used to really get offended. But I think when she finally saw that a lot of people were commenting, oh, you remind me of my Lola. Oh, I miss my mom so much. Like it reminds me of home. It reminds me of my childhood. I think that's when my mom and my aunties turned around and now they don't get offended if anything, like they think it's the funniest thing in the world now. Cause they're like, they know it's a combination of three aunties. So now they're like, Oh, that's not me. That's <laughs> not making fun of me. <laughs> so we've talked, we've talked a lot about your Filipino culture, not much about your white culture. I wonder if you live in a society where everything is the white culture or the dominant culture is the white culture. Like, how do you even define what white culture is when it may not be as defined at home? I I didn't really grow up with my white side. I know them, but my generation on the white side, they're a lot older than me. So when I came to the States, I went to a family reunion and I was 12 years old and all my cousins were like in their twenties married with kids so I didn't connect with them. And then they had kids that were like two and three. So I, I was kind of in the middle. I didn't really connect much. You know, I just connected more with the Filipino side. I just wasn't raised with them. So a couple years ago, one of my aunts on Facebook, and she had made a comment, why do you have to be Filipino American? Why can't you just be American? And I really was taken aback because I never thought anything else. Like I never thought that was an issue. And just because I'm Filipino American, it doesn't mean I'm taking anything away from my American side. What's it to you? Why can't I be both? I am American, but I'm also Filipino and American. And I remember like having a conversation with my dad about it. And he, you know, he was like, well, she may feel that you're denying the white side. My dad is Austrian and Scottish. And I was like, teach me how to cook something Scottish or is there like a tradition, you know, that's Austrian that we can do. And he was like, well, I didn't really learn that growing up either. And I was like, okay, well, all right then. So (laughs) I grew up American. Like, let me be a little splash of Filipino now that I can. So yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize how much food is tied to culture and identity. And I didn't really realize that until I was older and Right. Yeah. I saw your video where you were giving balut to some relatives and I happen to love balut. Wow. Um, although my mom, because she grew up Muslim, there were things I, I, I was allowed to have barbecue pork, but I never had like dinugan growing up because it, because just, and she wasn't a practicing Muslim. I think you just get used to not consuming pork, but mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I saw that video and I salivated, but you know, I think the balut is a symbol of something much deeper in the people. And so then you can connect with those people. But if you're in a culture, maybe a half culture that can't really, I'm just assuming for white culture, because I am married to somebody who's white, you know, where the food isn't as tied to the culture. You're like, well, what is your culture? Yeah. If you can't tell me like what the food is, but what is it? Like, you mean we can just invent it like right now? Because yeah. that's American culture too, is like all about reinvention. And yeah. Anyway, that was sort of my commentary yeah. on food. And I'm also not surprised that one of your first videos that really resonated with people had to do with food. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember writing it. I co-wrote it with like with my cousins. I had an idea and we had a little group chat going and I was like, Hey, it would be funny if we do this. I'm all about that food, Filipino food. And then my cousin was like, like adobo. And I was like, Oh yeah, let's keep going. So we, you know, they gave me all these lines, but I, I'm the one that like, I guess pieced it together. And I remember afterwards when I shared it with them, Wow, we are fatties. We just wrote an entire song about <laughs> Filipino food. And I remember thinking, like, are people even going to connect with this? People are going to think this is so weird. But people were like, oh, my God, I love lumpia, adobo. And then, like, to have the visuals with it. It really is a celebration. You know, like you said, the cultural glue, if not identity, is food. And then even like gatherings and having your family come together and share stories, it's over food. I can't believe we wrote an entire song about food. (laughs) And then it went viral, which means that people have this on their mind and is really what they connect to. So I'd love to know how your Filipino brothers and sisters can support you and your efforts and what they can do to stay connected. I, I realized, I didn't realize until, you know, this whole social media thing, that there is a huge difference between like people in the Philippines and then the Philams. I remember growing up, I would meet another Filipino and they're like, oh, you don't speak Tagalog. But now <laughs> I'm like, oh, I speak a little bit of Tagalog. You know, like, like oh, that's funny. You know, any type of, I've learned any type of exposure to our culture. I hope we can all continue to support each other. And I was supposed to go to the Philippines in May, but, you know, hopefully next year I'll be able to get back. And, you know, I really wanted to get like a, a camera crew and just go and venture, meet everyone. And, you know, there's so many travel blogs and stuff about the Philippines. So, of course, I want to like, you know, highlight everyone and, and make all these videos. So, hopefully, 2021 will be 10 times better than 2020. Yeah. And then, and then how can folks in the Philippines follow you? I know you're just a Google away. Yeah. Facebook, Mary Grantha Filipina and Instagram. Same thing, Mary Grantha Filipina. I try and make sure I'm posting the same thing on both. And I also do have a website that's mary-grant.com. I know that many, many folks will be touched by your story and the rawness with which you share it. Thank you, Pa. <laughs> Partially Pinoy is a Podcast Network Asia production in partnership with Bridger Media in Los Angeles. Our show is developed and executive produced by Leila Jerusalem. The series is produced by Nikai Lucanias.
The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.